How are y'all doing? Hey, y'all are in a weird mood. This is not going to bode well, okay, because I have to preach. So get ready. Um, let me get to the right spot here on my things. So yesterday, we got to host the foster home that we have been um, helping out with. So they did a training here for all the adults. So there was about 40 adults in here. Don't, don't let Jessica know I said about any number because she's always about the very specific number. There's about 40 adults in here. There, there were parents getting trained and, uh, for, the, to the foster, for their foster program, and then we got to take care of the kids, which was awesome. Like, it was really, really cool. So let me just tell you, that was, that was fun. It was very fun um, sitting there and being able to talk with some of the kids, and especially the older kids. Uh, it wasn't just fun. It was, it was heartbreaking to hear some of their stories. Um, we, are, we are needed um, our church is needed. Um, you, personally, you, I'm talking to you, you are needed to help and do what, what God tells us to do, what Jesus literally tells us to do. We're supposed to be doing those things, taking care of the widows and the orphans. So if you, this is your church, plug in, help out. There's another opportunity coming up on October 29th. You see how I get the details right? October 29th, and uh, we're going to go out to the foster home, and we're going to uh, help them with some uh, fall festival. Um, but you do have to fill out paperwork and stuff, so uh, there's some kind of way to do that. Um, talk to Kendall or Jessica, and they're the ladies in the denim jackets. Um, they're <laughs> matching today for some reason. Uh, so talk to them, and then uh, they can get you set up of where to find that. Please, come and help. It's amazing. And maybe you're like, well, I don't know if I can like teach kids. You don't have to teach kids. In the Fall Fest thing, you can just stand by an inflatable and make sure that they don't kill each other. Like, that's easy. Like, I did that last time we were here. So it was super fun. So um, also, uh, the other thing I wanted to say about is uh, our life groups are going strong now. If you um, are not part of a life group, maybe you're thinking about joining a life group. We have some here on Wednesdays. Uh, we have some at different times throughout the week. If you're interested, Talk to somebody here. Talk, you talk to any one of us that are, like, you can talk to Rob in the sound booth. Uh, you can talk to me. I'm, I'll give you, I'll tell you to go talk to somebody else. But you can talk to me if you want. Um, but the life groups are really, really good. It's, it's helping people to grow, and, and we dig deeper into the sermon. One of the really cool things is we're going through the Gospel of John right now, and we have been for a very long time. And we're in chapter 7, and we will be going for a very long time. I just got to warn you, today we're only covering two verses. But it's going to feel like more, but it's only two verses. So um, the, the great thing about, this is the 31st message in the Gospel of John. And the great thing about it is you can jump in. If today's the first time you heard one of these messages, you can jump in today, and you won't feel like you've, you, you don't know what's going on because uh, you, you can jump right into it. That's exactly how our life groups work. You can jump in at any time during the semester. We, our semester will end in the middle of November, um, and you'll be able to jump in at any time. So please, join. Uh, it's really, really good. Um, I got to tell you a story to get started before we get started. Um, did y'all hear that? Was it just me? Did I hear that? Okay. There was a phone. Some made a sound. Um, so look, some people get mad. Well, one time I was in a church service, and, uh, and somebody's phone rang, and the pastor was like frustrated that that was happening. And so the, the, phone, the phone rang again, and he's like, oh, man. And then a baby started crying. So, you know, there's two things people don't want to hear when they're preaching, a phone ringing and a baby crying. And so the baby's like, wah, wah, being super loud. And so the pastor said, hey, I speak baby. 
And the baby's saying, what's the foyer look like? <laughs> so the, the lady got up and walked right through the foyer on her way out to never go back to that church again. So anyway, I, I'm not telling you. I, it doesn't bother me. Like, it'll distract me. And if it distracts me, it's going to distract all of us because I'm going to point it out. Um, so uh, <laughs> are you all okay with that? I don't care. So. Um, some of you know, I've been a runner for a long time. Um, I ran this ultra marathon with this, uh, this promotion called Trail Racing Over Texas. And it's called Trot, Trail Racing Over Texas. And these people were like, they're very famous for one aspect of racing. I was doing this 60K, I mean this 100K, which is 62.137 miles. Miserable. If you can ever get out of doing something like that, get out of it. Because it's terrible. The pain and the, it's, don't do it. So, um, what they're really good at is the, um, the aid stations. These aid stations were like epic, epic aid stations. So they had them um, all throughout the race. Obviously, if you know anything about racing, you know, they always have water stations. These guys had aid stations where it's like a party at every time. There's like They were cooking quesadillas on hot plates. There's like disco balls and music, and they had unlimited Red Bull, and it was like amazing, like amazing, amazing things. The best thing about them was not that stuff, though. The best thing about them was they had these, uh, these tents spaced out the perfect distance. Whenever you run long distance, you do this thing where you're, you're like, I was like eating right, I trained, I drank, I was hydrated, everything was perfect. And so I'm going into, the, like, my body is like primed to run this race. But then when you run the race, you start to do this thing where your body just starts to decline very rapidly. And then, I don't know if you ever heard of it, but if you hit the end of yourself, it's called bonking. And if you bonk in a race, you are done. Like, you're done. I have done this multiple times on training runs and, and, and in races where I will convince myself of all kinds of things that are not reality. Like, there have been times where, one time in a race, I convinced myself that both of my legs were broken. Like, the bones were broken in my legs. And I was just like, all this stuff's going on in my mind, and I'm like, oh, man, it's, just, it's like, I can't, like, I'm, I have to die. I'm going to die now. I'm in a, I'm in, I need to call the ambulance. They need to come get me. Miserable. These tents were at the exact right position in the run, where right as I'm coming down, all I needed was a banana and some honey. And so I get the banana and the honey, and they had, these stations, they had everything, like everything you could possibly want. They even had beer. I don't know why you would drink beer while you're running, but some people were doing it, like weirdos. So, the, so I get the banana and the honey, and I eat it, and immediately it's like this supernatural burst of energy. And I'm like, yes, I could take on the world again. My bones have healed in my legs. I am living. And so I would take off and start running again. And then it would, like, I would get to this, like, yeah, the world. And then, and then it would start coming down and coming down and coming down. And then I'm like, oh, my legs are broken again. And then I would come around a corner, and I would see another tent. And I'm like, yes, Red Bull. And so, and I never drank Red Bull, but, uh, and so I would go to the tent, and I would get the, the banana and the honey, and I would just, look, in life, church is your aid station, okay? You're running this long race, and it's hard sometimes, and you convince yourself, I can't go on. I can't do it. I just, I can't do it. And then Sunday comes, and you get to come here, and you get to be around your brothers and sisters who are running the same race as you, and you can encourage each other, and you can love each other, and you can say, hey, look, you can make it. You're going to do it. You're going to make it. And then you, you the life groups, another aid station in the week. Sometimes we need more than just the Sunday and Wednesday aid station. 
All of us need more than just a Sunday. And so you plug into a life group. You plug into other, with other believers, and they are your aid station. And you can run the race that you're called to run, and you can run it successfully. And your, uh, your bones will miraculously heal. When you go to the aid stations, you'll figure out, wait a minute, I can do this. I can make it. Today in John 7, Jesus talks about that living water. Man, these water stations, vitally important. And Jesus talks about the living water. So Jesus, look, I told you, I'm only going to get through two verses today. It's because I've broken it up and it's, it's really good. Like it's, it's, today's message is one of those that gets me like really fired up. So put your seatbelts on. On the last day of the feast, see, this is why it takes so long, because I can take like five words and turn it into like paragraphs. The last day of the feast. So we're talking about the Feast of Booths um, the, 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 or the Feast of Tabernacles. Three times a year, if you lived within uh, 15 miles or 50 miles from the, uh, Jerusalem, you were expected to do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It was the, the, um, the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Festival of Booths. God, they were looking back and celebrating that God delivered Israel from Egypt. This is one of the central stories that every Jew would always talk about how God had delivered them from Egypt. And in Leviticus, this is where they get the, the festival from. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He's reminding them. You know, our culture does a really bad job of remembering the good things. Like we're always looking to the next bad thing, like, you know, midterms. We're looking toward the next bad thing that's going to come up. Another election. Great. So the problem with elections is somebody's going to win, right? You know, are, are y'all with me here? Okay. Usually when I say something political, y'all are like, okay, here he goes. Like, okay. No, I'm not. I'm not even going to talk about it today. But the, the, we don't celebrate good stuff when good things happen. And that's why we forget. That's why it's so easy to, to forget that God just delivered you from something. And you're already like, well, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Well, God just delivered you. What do you mean, how are you going to make it? You're, you're going to make it because God is good all the time. And all the time. That's what I'm saying. See? So we need to be reminded. It's like this rite of passage thing that's going on. We need to be reminded when they go to this festival, they're reminding the current generation that knows, look, our current generation knows nothing about waiting for anything, right? Because like when you watch a show, some of y'all won't even watch shows unless all the whole season's available. Like you, if it comes out weekly, you're like, nah, I ain't waiting a week to watch a show. You remember when Lost came out? Did y'all watch Lost? If you've never watched Lost, let me just tell you, they were dead the whole time. Spoiler alert, also Sixth Sense, they were dead the whole time. So anyway, <laughs> I'm just going to ruin it all. Um, look, on, on Lost, I just remember when we watched that show, it was like the first show as an adult, I can remember that we really got into that show. And you had to, each, uh, each show would end in this cliffhanger, and then you had to wait seven days to figure out what was going to happen on that stupid island. And then, like the end of the season... The biggest cliffhanger of the whole year was the, like, you had to wait until from May to, like, October or something, September. You had to wait a long time. The current generation, I don't know nothing about that. Nothing about that. If we wanted to know song lyrics, you know what we had to do? We had to wait for that song to come on the radio. And, you, and if you were really good, you could call into the radio and request it. But who knows if they're even going to answer or play the song. Like, so 
But if you want to know a song lyric right now, I can look up every word to Bohemian Rhapsody and tell you. Like literally from my tablet right here, I can do And, and within 20 seconds, we'll know every word to the song. You want me to sing it? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no! <laughs> okay, okay, calm down. A lot can be learned in waiting. Whenever you pray for something, maybe God doesn't say yes or no. Maybe he just says wait. Like a lot of things can be learned when you're waiting and you're looking to God and you're relying on God. I, I, rem- I was always try to teach my kids that you don't need to have everything right now. Like right now. You, having everything right now is not a benefit. It's a curse. And so whenever we would go, like as a youth pastor, we would take kids to camp and I would say, all right, because I would be so frustrated with kids would bring their phones and they would be on their phones the whole time. We're on the bus and they're just looking at their phones. They're not interacting with each other. So I'm like, all right, no phones at camp. And so all the parents are like, well, what if something happens? And I'm like, well, look, I didn't have a phone when I was a kid. Look how good I turned out. (laughs) So they always got to take phones because that was my argument. Um, Anyway, the 80s were great. So. God is, God is reminding them in this symbolic tradition of his goodness. There's something that's, this is something that's, that's greatly missing in our culture is remembering God's goodness and always thinking about God's goodness because we're ready to move on to the next thing because the next thing's really important and we gotta, we gotta focus on that next thing instead of celebrating how good God is now, right? So it goes on, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, the Super Bowl, Jesus stood up and cried out. Look, if you have a Bible, circle, cried out. If you have your, uh, your electronic Bible, screenshot it and then circle it. Cried out. Jesus cried out. See, whenever we think of Jesus, we think of Jesus as this like monotone, like soft-spoken, like love your neighbors. Like Mr. Rogers, you know? How do you go there, neighbor? Like, or Ned Flanders. Like, Jesus ain't Ned Flanders, guys. Jesus is not the, the soft... He cried out. He cried out. Like, he, in Greek, it's hollered. I'm just kidding. It's not. That's not Greek. Um, that's, that's Texas. He, he hollered. Like, he cried out. Some of y'all, some of us are asleep at the wheel. Our Christianity is boring because we don't cry out. We're not crying out for anything. Why would we cry out? Look, we as a people need to cry out. Jesus in this moment at the festival, at the height of their culture, he's crying out because he's trying to get people's attention. Why are we so chill? Like we we are so laid back. We look at the world around us and we don't want to offend anybody. I mean, y'all, like, you know, I don't care. So we don't want to offend anybody. We're so worried about, look, I don't want to be the person that turns someone off of Jesus. The lost... And the hurting and the, the people that are hopeless, they're not offended when you're crying out. You know who's offended when you're crying out? It's the religious people. The people that are saying, hey, you should do it differently. You're not doing it right. That's not how church is supposed to be done. I can tell you so much. The people that have left our church, and there have been some, the people that have left our church, the reason they leave our church is because they're like, you, you shouldn't be doing it that way. You need to do it a different way. Because at our other place, we did like, I don't care. I don't think we're the best church. I don't. I think we're doing it the way that we feel like God is leading us to do it. I'm preaching the way God has led me to preach. It's not for everyone. It's not for even some of you are like, it's not for me. I understand. I understand. And it hurts my feelings. But go somewhere where you can plug in fully. And if you, if you feel like this is your church, then plug in fully. 
the, the challenges in front of us are way more difficult than the challenges we've already overcome. God has called us to this community for a reason. God has called you to sit in this seat for a reason. And there, there's a purpose and we have a mission. And it's not just to come in here and just feel good about ourselves. It's not to come. Look, whenever we, we were in the other building that we were in, it was right across the parking lot here, for those of you that don't know. And we could fit about 70 chairs in there uncomfortably fit about 70 chairs and so once we got to about 70 people in service we're like all right guys we're going to go to two services and most of the people in our church were like yes two services awesome and i'm like i'm gonna preach twice i don't like it's it's hard for me to get through whenever i get done like today when i get done preaching i'm exhausted like exhausted but i'm like all right i'm excited because look we're having an impact on the community this is great but there were some people they were like i don't I don't want to go to two services because I won't be able to spend as much time with my friends. And I'm, look them in the face. I'm like, look, shut up. Like you, we did not start a church so that you could have more friends. I don't care if you have more friends. Now, to be clear, I want all of you to be friends. If you look around the room, you should know everyone here unless they're new, like you should be able to have a conversation with everyone here. And if you don't like someone in this room, you better get used to them because you're going to be with them for all eternity. And I don't, I'm not sure that arguing is allowed in heaven and you got to like each other there. So just get to liking each other now. Practice now, okay? So there, there were people that were like, they didn't, they were very resistant to change and we're going to keep changing. And when we, we're going to do what, what we feel like God has called us to do. The reason that we need to cry out is not necessarily for the people that are already here. Of course, we need to cry out for the people that are here. But we need to cry out for the people that, that aren't here yet. We need to cry out, and by crying out, we're calling people out. We're telling people about Jesus. And we need to cry out to people that are lost. Obviously, people that don't know Jesus, we should be crying out and showing them what, what it looks like to live a life for the Lord. But also, what I've seen more than anything else is there are people in our community that are disenfranchised with church. They're like, oh, have you heard someone say, I'm just not about organized religion. Like, come to our church. We're not organized at all. <laughs> like, we're very unorganized, okay? So you're fine here. Uh, so when you talk about organized religion, like, people are they're doing this deconstruction thing. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not about that kind of life anymore. Okay. Like, Jesus hasn't changed. I'm just going to tell you right now. Spend enough time with me. I'm going to say something that offends you. And I don't mean I'm going to preach from the word to offend you. That happens all the time. I mean, I personally am going to have an opinion for, that you hear me say that is just Randy's opinion and you're going to be mad at me about that. Let me just tell you, get over it. Like, don't attribute my opinions to Jesus because Jesus loves you regardless. I don't. <laughs> I try. I try to love you. I do try to love you. Some of y'all are real hard to love. Like, you know who you are. <laughs> like, don't try to pretend like, I can't believe those people. It's you. So, uh, but if I, if I say something that offends you, don't just be like, you know what, we're going to another church. Don't do that. If God's called you to be here, you, do you really have a choice? Because if you leave and God didn't tell you to leave, then you're being disobedient. And there are some consequences with that. Please don't do that. Okay? Don't get mad at me and leave. If you get mad at me, look, you can come and talk to me, but I'll tell you why you're wrong. I'm, I'm joking, for those of you that are, take me seriously. 
Um, there are people in our community, what, what I've really seen more than anything else, even more than people that are disenfranchised with church as churches, because a lot of people get hurt by church, by church leaders, by people at church, by the way that people do church. A lot of people get hurt by that. A lot of you in this room have, have come here because the church you were at, you just didn't feel it. You just were, you felt unplugged, you felt disconnected or whatever. Well, if you stay here long enough, you'll probably feel that here. Fortunately, it's not about feelings, right? What I've seen more than anything else in our community is there are sold-out believers that love Jesus, and they're just looking for a place where they can come and love Jesus with a lot of other people that are sold out and love Jesus too. And guess what? You are home. This is it. We don't get it all right, but we love Jesus. I'll tell you that. Like, Spend some time with people here. They love Jesus. And so it's about us crying out. And the reason many people don't cry out is because it's uncomfortable. And we want to be comfortable. We don't want to be offensive. We want to be comfortable. And that's, that's what Jesus is doing. You know what Satan wants from us more than anything else? He does not want us to join a satanic church and put on black co- clothes and become emo or something. He doesn't want us painting our fingernails black and like that. He doesn't care about that stuff. What he wants more than anything is he just needs you to be distracted and never come to treasure Jesus as your ultimate treasure. He just wants you distracted. And man, he's good at distracting us. He's really good. The, the, his only game, and it's not even a very tricky game, is his only game is that it's not to have you join some false religion. He doesn't have to try that hard. All he has to do is distract you so that you're, you're never crying out. You're never having other people join this mission that you're on to, to seek and save the lost. If you hang out with Christians long enough, you begin to believe that everyone understands Christianity. Let me just tell you, the world doesn't understand Christianity. They preach Jesus to me very, very clearly. They preached the gospel to me for three solid years until I heard it one day and it made sense. Three years. I was hard-headed. I did not want to have anything to do with it. But one day, it, it broke through that wall that I'd built around my heart and my mind, and then it was all real. I, one time I was, uh, had this former student that had left the church when he graduated and it broke my heart because I poured my life into this kid. I loved him to death. Um, and he, he told me he was going to start the softball team. And so I was like, hey, let me sign me up to be on your softball team. And he's like, well, it's just a bunch of us from work and they're not Christians. And I'm like, okay, well, I know how to be around non-Christians. Sometimes I prefer to be around non-Christians. But, um, so, so I tell him, all right, let's do that. So sign me up on the team. So I, we're going to do one practice and then the season's starting. So I go out there on the first day and I'm going to the outfield and I'm just sit, standing there. We're just playing. They're hitting the balls. And, and one of the guys that was out there said, hey, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm friends with this guy. Uh, I don't want to say his name. Actually, he's probably not watching. He's I'm friends with Jacob. So uh, I don't know why that was such a struggle in my mind. So um, I said, hey, so I'm friends with Jacob. So he says, he's like, oh, you know Jacob? How do you know Jacob? Oh, he's one of my former students. And he said, are you a teacher? And I'm like, no, I'm a pastor. And he's like, I've never met a pastor. How can you live in Texas and have never met a pastor? And so I'm like, you've never met a pastor? He's like, no, no. It's like, so what is, like, do we have to do this and stuff? Like, when we're, I'm like, no, man, I'm just a normal guy. And he's like, you don't seem normal, <laughs> if you only knew. Uh, so, uh, so I, we're, you know, we're playing, and then uh, I'm like, so tell me about yourself, as we're, as we're just talking and, and waiting. And, and so he starts telling me, he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm really struggling right now. It's amazing how this happens, these supernatural appointments. 
And he's like, I'm just really struggling right now. We just found out my girlfriend's pregnant, and and I don't know what I'm going to do. And, you know, I'm not ready to be a dad and and all this. Like, it's like, I'm just, I'm really hitting the end of myself. And I'm like, well, buddy, can I pray for you? And he said, no one's ever prayed for me before. This guy lives in Texas, and no one's ever prayed for him before. Like, how is that possible? See, we think everyone knows, y'all, you hang out with Christians all the time. So you think everyone's, everyone at least has an idea about it. This guy had no clue. So we're standing there in the outfield, and they're hitting balls. And we close our eyes, and I put my arm around him, and, and we just start praying. And one of the guys in the, in the infield is like, what's wrong with y'all? Quit hugging. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we're praying, show up. <laughs> and so uh, we pray, look. I don't get it right a lot, okay? But in that moment, like, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit when I was crying out. This guy, look, God, God hears every word, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And, and, you know, he cares about the things that you care about. And we, and we prayed, and I would love to say, and then he accepted Jesus, and the clouds parted, and, and we could hear Jesus' voice. It's not what happened. It took a long time. Um, but it had an impact on him when... It gets people's attention when we function differently than the world does. Whenever we do things, look, I'm the guy that I'll pray with the cashier at Walmart with a long line behind them because I don't care. Like, I don't care. I'm going to try to make, if I'm going to be uncomfortable, look, we're all going to be uncomfortable, okay? No matter where we are, we're all going to be uncomfortable. And, and it's fine. It's fine for me because we have these divine holy moments that I feel like we miss these things every single day. And God wants to use you right where you are. He wants to use you. He wants to use you to speak to your coworkers, to your family, to your friends. He wants to use you every single day. And all you have to do is to be submitted and be willing to cry out. And it's scary. But you need to stop coasting around like it's peacetime. The way that many of us live doesn't draw any attention to Jesus because we live like it's peacetime. We live like everything's good, everything's fine, everything's kosher because it's Jewish. Um, it's, it's all, look, and it's not, the way that we live is not bringing glory to God. And the way that we live should bring glory to God if we have Jesus, if we are living our lives for Jesus, that we should be saying Jesus is the only way to heaven. We should be crying it out constantly that you need to repent of your sin. Jesus died on the cross and he rose again so that you too could have life. But we live this boring version of Christianity. Like you live your life like you're like you were born into a romantic comedy instead of born into a wartime movie. Like your life should be more Lord of the Rings and Braveheart than like than legally blonde and 10 things I hate about you. Like it it should be way more. It should be way more wartime stuff than this. Like, and then she takes her takes her glasses off. Like, wow, she's beautiful. But when she had her glasses on, she wasn't. It's amazing. Like, your life's not a romantic comedy. It's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be war. We're in a war for. We're in in the midst of a battle for people's souls, and you forgot because you were living comfortably. And it's not about being comfortable. If you're comfortable, you're not looking for anything that's, that's, that's permanent, that's eternal. We look for comfort instead of a battle strategy. Look, I can prove to you that you look for, you look for comfort over a battle strategy. Have you ever said or thought, y'all probably thought it because y'all are all good Christians. You didn't say it out loud. Is it a sin if I blank? I wonder if it's a sin if I fill in the blank. Like, I wonder if it's a sin if I 
smoke weed. I wonder if it's a sin if I murder my neighbor. He probably didn't do that because that one's very clearly written. You should not murder your neighbor, just to be clear. But you, if you, have you ever said, I wonder if it's a sin if I drink alcohol? Yeah, I bet you said that one at some point. And you're like, no, no, no. Because the Bible says that you want to justify your liberty? Is it a sin if you cause a, a younger a believer to stumble? Yes or no? I'm going to ask you again. Is it a sin if you cause a younger believer to stumble? Yes, we all know that. So if you're a mature Christian, and I put that in quotes because you're not. If you're a mature Christian and you're saying, is it a sin if I, I'm going to stick with the drinking alcohol. Is it a sin if I drink alcohol? Well, is it a sin if you cause someone to stumble? Yes, it's a sin. You know that for, for sure. So then you can say, well, nobody knows I'm a Christian. Well, we have a different sin to talk about then. It's like, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a bad, bad thing. So is it a sin if I... Whenever you say or think, is it a sin if I do this thing? You're like, how close can I get to the edge without falling into sin? Because I don't want to fall into sin. If you, if you are trying to live your life for Jesus, you don't want to fall into sin. That's obvious. Like you sin, you know you do, but you try not to, right? And so if you're saying, how close can I get to the sin without actually sinning? You're not trying to live for the Lord. Like you're not a mature Christian, you're, I mean, you're, you're not living for Jesus at all. I'm just going to tell you. If, you. if you're routinely asking, how close can I get to the edge without falling? No one says, is it a sin if I go and serve at the, at the foster home? Is it a sin if I, if I go buy a widow groceries? No one's ever said that. No one's ever said, is it a sin if I go and do this good thing? You only say, is it a sin if I go do this questionable thing? If you want to be free from that, anytime you have the thought... Is it a sin if I, just don't do that. Just don't do the thing. If you want to live for the Lord, don't do the thing. If, like, leave here and never touch alcohol again, you're good. Like, you don't ever have to worry about, is it a sin if I drink? It's not a sin if you drink an alcohol thing. An alcohol? <laughs> don't go snorting that alcohol, kids. <laughs> it's not a sin in and of itself, but it's a sin if you cause someone to stumble. So what's your life about? If, is your life about you? If your life's about you, hey, you're free, man. Hold on to your liberties. Hold on to your freedom. What is that? Is that me? My microphone? Oh. Um, you can hold on to your liberties and hold on to all the freedoms and all the things that you're like, oh, let me see. Like, yeah, I'm going to see how close I can get. Look, I'm not sinning. Look at me. I'm not sinning. I'm close, but I'm not sinning. It's good. Good Christians that are trying to live their life for the Lord are not walking the line. They're not towing the edge. They're doing good things. I'm going to prove it to you in a few minutes how that life, you know how many pastors I know of that have fallen into sin because of alcohol? Like there are pastors that you know that have fallen into sin. The ones that you see, the famous ones, Every time that ties back to alcohol, every time it ties back to alcohol. And you may say, well, pastors are supposed to be held to a different standard. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But if a pastor is going to do it, then what's it going to do to you? It's not going to destroy your life because you're going to be the one. On the last day of the feast, the great day, 
Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whenever I was preparing the message, this sentence hit me so hard. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, we're going to come back to the thirst in a minute, but whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The word for belief, I don't do a lot of the, let's look at the Greek. Whenever I'm studying, I do, because I want to make sure that what I'm teaching is actually what it says. It's very important to me. But whenever I'm teaching, I don't, always show you the Greek because it's not always relevant to to what we're doing. In this case, it's very, very relevant. Pistion. It's whoever believes in me, whoever has faith in me. This is the central the central story of the New Testament is justification by faith. It is by having faith in Jesus that we are justified not by our works We are justified not by being good, but by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus and only Jesus is how we are justified. Religion says that you have to try and try and try and try and try and try and try. And then if you try and you keep trying, that one day maybe your performance will be good enough and God will accept you in the end. If you tried really hard, whenever you went to that moment of realizing that you needed a savior whenever you turned your heart over to jesus do you can you think back and remember you understood clearly how badly you needed jesus because you knew there was no way you could do it on your own right but then you started living for jesus and the holy spirit started empowering you to do good things And then you were doing some good things and you did some other good things and some other good things. And then you did a bad thing. And you're like, oh, I got to try harder. And then you let the Holy Spirit lead you and do some more good things. And then you messed up and you're like, oh, I got to try harder. And then somewhere along the line, it turned into you trying again. Here you are trying to uh, live a religious life. And you're trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to be worthy of justification But your justification is by faith in Jesus alone. Jesus comes into the picture and he lives a perfect life in our place. That he and then he dies on the cross as our substitute and he rises again to give us life. And now our job is not to try to perform, but to understand that Jesus has already performed in our place. He has already delivered us. And then when we put our pistion, our faith, our believing, in him, our continuous, the verb, believing in him and what he's accomplished, it is finished. The work to save you is already done. You don't have to do anything else. Look, you don't have to do one more good thing for the rest of your life. He did it for you. I heard somebody say, finally, he did it. He did it for you. He paid the price for you. He worked for you. The work is all done. And some of you think, if I will only do this, God will accept me. If I will only vote the right way, God will accept me. Because he only accepts Republicans. 
or it only accepts Democrats, or it only accepts the vaxxed or the non-vaxxed or the whatever denomination. He only accepts these, these kinds of people. And i got to be this kind of people because those are the ones. He accepts you if you're justified by putting your faith in him, and that's it. You are justified by faith in Jesus, by his grace alone, by the undeserved favor, through faith in the finished, already finished work of Jesus. That's the gospel, that you're not earning it. I mean, just think if you had to earn it. Just think of how hard that would be if you had to try to earn it. You don't. Like, you never could. So if we don't have to do another good thing for the rest of our life, why are we still struggling to be holy? Why is it that we still struggle all the time? Why are we trying to be good? Why are we trying to do the right things? It should be because of your love for him, you want to bring him glory. That's it. And if you don't love Jesus so much that you want to lay aside your liberties and your freedoms in order to draw people to him so that he gets glory, then we have an issue here. That's how much you should love him because he has saved you. Like, you don't have to be good enough. God knew you couldn't be good enough, so he sent Jesus to do it for you, to be good enough for you. And this is the reason that Christianity changes the entire world because all we have to do is let people know it's finished. Like the, the work of saving you is finished and all you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is accept it. Put your pistion, your faith, your believing in, in Jesus Christ. Look, I have a quote here. It's amazing. It says, here's my definition of faith based on that. One of the most provocative observations about saving faith is that the book of the Bible that talks more about it than any book about the saving effect of believing never uses the noun faith or belief, but it uses the verb pistion 98 times. Now, the Gospel of John uses the verb believing. It's an action verb, a believing 98 times. It never one time talks about faith as something that you have or your belief is something that you have. Whenever you think about your belief, you, it needs to be immediately thought of as an action of believing, not a thing that you did or a thing that you have. You don't have faith, you are having faith. Do you understand the difference? You all following me? Thank you, three. Appreciate it. What was, John communica- what was John communicating to us by never using the noun, faith or belief, but instead using the verb? I think he chose the verb because believing in its very nature is a kind of acting, an acting of the soul or the heart. Before this acting of the soul produces any other kinds of actions and the kind of acting the, of the soul that believing is reveals something crucial about our nature of saving faith itself. Believing in Jesus is a coming to Jesus, an action of coming to Jesus, so as to find your heart hunger and your heart thirst satisfied. Your heart hunger and your heart thirst satisfied. That is so beautiful. So there's no such thing as a Christian on planet earth that can say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't take him as my ultimate treasure. Taking Jesus as your ultimate treasure is being fully satisfied in him. When he talks about the water, The water is being fully satisfied. When he gives you living water, it is being fully satisfied in him. That's the kind of faith that actually saves you. It's not walking down the aisle. It's not reciting the magic prayer, the magic words that you, you have to say these specific words. It's not intellectually agreeing that Jesus is God's son. 
It's not about believing. Your belief isn't going to save you or anyone else. Your belief isn't what saves you. There's more to it than you believing. Obviously, you have to believe these things, but believing does, is not an end of itself. In James 2, it says that the demons believe in Jesus and they shudder. Like, do you think that Satan is wondering whether Jesus died on the cross or that Jesus is God's son? He's not wondering that at all. But he doesn't treasure Jesus. He doesn't love Jesus. He doesn't cherish Jesus or honor Jesus. And that's the difference in him and us. Like, we know that Jesus is who he says he is, but Jesus is our treasure. We center our life around him. And that's what, around him, that's what faith is saying. It's treasuring Jesus above everything else. It's very easy for us to fall into mission drift where we forget what we're about and we start to, to change what we're about. And it's very easy for us to, to start looking at money or sexuality or materialism or some promotion or, or beauty. Or, there's a million things that we can start looking at and we get distracted because that's his plan all along is to distract you. And we get distracted. And then maybe, maybe you've been pitched another kind of faith. What happens the thing that happens with your sin? This is really important that you understand this. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink and you'll be satisfied. What is it that you're thirsting for? What is it in life that you're thirsting for? Whoever drinks of my water will never thirst again. But we thirst every day. We thirst every single day. We're looking at things that we're looking to satisfy. We sin by going after money or we sin by going after lust lust, or, or gossip or, or there's a million different things. If you're fully satisfied in... Look, my pastor was an Italian man and he was very Italian and he loved food. Like I'm talking like loved, loved, loved food. There's two kinds of people that will that will talk about food and love food. It's, it's uh, Italians and Colombians. And they just talk about food. Like, okay, and they, that's all they're about. They're just about the food, okay? And so he took us to an Italian restaurant, and it was like a genuine, it was a hole-in-the-wall restaurant. Those are always the best ones. Y'all know that, right? So he took us to this little Italian restaurant, and we go in, and the lady comes to the table, and she's like, he says, she's like, what would you guys like? And he's like, we would like three pizzas. There was four of us, okay? It's Jessica and me and and him and his wife. And, and so he's like, well, four, uh, three pizzas. So we, we, they bring three pizzas. I'm like, cool, we're eating pizzas. This is awesome. And so we eat the pizza. It's really, really, really good pizza. And then she comes back, say, everything okay? And he's like, yeah, give us three spaghettis and some uh, calzones and some, uh, some bolis and all these, all these Italian words I didn't even recognize. And it's like, they keep bringing food. And it all tastes really, really, really good. And so we're like, oh, man, it's starting to hurt. But I'm like, I'm not a quitter, okay? So I'm just eating, and we're eating, and we're eating. And literally, it felt like at one point, I'm sitting there, and I'm leaning back because I had to lean back. But I didn't stop eating. I'm still, like, bringing it to my mouth. Okay, it felt like somebody put a knife in the middle of my stomach, right between where abs would be. And, uh, <laughs> and, it's, like, and it's like a knife is stabbing me. And I wasn't going to stop, though, because that food tasted so good. And then finally, I'd reached my limit. And I'm like, oh, I can't eat one more olive. Oh, it hurts so bad. Please don't make me eat anymore. And he's like, all right, we can go. So I'm like, I slide out of the booth, and I'm like, oh. You know how pregnant women Like, so we walk out. As soon as we get to the door, he's like, where are we going for dessert? And I was like, oh, no. No, please, no. Like, I could not 
eat one more bite of anything else. If you have fully partaken in Jesus and you are filling up with him, then you don't hunger for anything else. You, if you can be so full of godly things, you don't have any desire for it. Like the money thing is like, it's there, but it's, it's nothing in comparison. If you will fill up with the good stuff, you don't need that other stuff anymore. I'm not telling you that you're going to not desire to have a remodeled kitchen or a vacation to Hawaii. I'm not telling you you're not going to want to have those things. You're still going to want to have those things, but they're not going to be your focus. They're not going to be your treasure. They're not going to be the thing that you wake up and think about. Whenever you meet someone new, they're not going to be one of the first things you talk about. Like if you do CrossFit, you talk about it all the time. Like they're going to be... They're going to be there, but the first thing you're going to talk about is the godly things that you're living out, that you're filling up with, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whenever you, if you want to find out what's in your heart, stump your toe, shut your finger in the car door. You'll find out what's in your heart real quick. And if you slam your finger in the car door and you say, shh, guess what you're full of? Yeah. But if you're like, God, Father, and not God in a, in a name in vain way, but I can tell you, like, I'm not holy. I think I, we pretty much established that, okay? Um, but my first thought genuinely is Jesus, like Jesus. Like whenever something bad happens, my first thought is prayer. And then I think about, well, maybe we should take some Tylenol with that headache. Like my first thought is like, I better pray about this. And then I think Tylenol. Like it... it out of the abundance of the heart. If you're filling up with the good stuff all the time, there ain't no room for sin. There's just no room for sin. If you're filling up, if you're, if you're on your Bible app on your phone all the time, there's no room for porn in there too. Like there's no room for things that, that don't belong. It's only the things, whenever you're, you're pursuing God, you, you, you know you know that all of those other things, the money and the sex and the, and the lust and the, the gossip, all of those things, they don't satisfy like he satisfies. Nothing else satisfies like he satisfied. If you want to know what sin really is, all the sin, every sin is not being satisfied in Jesus. That's it. That's the oversimplified gospel. All the sin is about not being satisfied in Jesus. If you go back to the first sin, the first sin wasn't disobedience. It wasn't eating of the fruit. It was not believing that God was telling the truth about him being all sufficient for any of the needs that they had. It was about him being not enough. Satan comes in, he's like, did God really say? And then he convinces them. Satan convinced them that there was more available in their disobedience than there was in their obedience. And he's still doing the same old nasty, dirty tricks to you. That he's, he's trying to convince you that there's more available in disobedience. There's more satisfaction to be found in disobedience than obedience to him. And it's just, it's just plain not true. You know that as we sit here right now of sound mind, we all know that there's more, there's way more satisfaction in him. But come Friday night when the party's hopping and like the, it's all available, every sin is available, like, I don't know what y'all do on Friday nights. Maybe you don't party. I don't know. But you know when sin comes knocking on the door, you're no longer convinced that there's satisfaction in him. And so you can either pray. In that moment, you think you're going to overcome sin by praying. Like pray, God, take away 
this desire to do this thing. That may work sometimes. You know what's going to work more times? God, fill me up with your spirit. Fill me up with your spirit. Because if you're full of him, there's no room for the other stuff. If you're full of him, there's no room for desiring these other things. If your constant desire is him, look, overcoming sin is easy to understand what to do. But in the moment, are you going to remember, I need to be filled up with, I need to be thinking about things that are good and true and noble and right. Like I need to be filling up with godly things versus just God, take this away from me. Taking this away from me is not going to work. Like it may work once or twice, but it's not going to work. That's not a long-term strategy. The long-term strategy is you're filling yourself up with godliness and godly things. You're being so full of the Holy Spirit that there's no other spirit can even whisper to you, right? Amen? I felt like that was really good and y'all were like just kind of barely shaking your heads, but it's okay. Y'all aren't charismatic enough. (laughs) Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, so what is it that you're thirsting for? And I really want you to think about it. I wanted to put this as a life group question. What are you thirsting for? But then when we're all sitting in a circle and you're looking at other people in the eyes, you may not be like, well, I'm thirsting for that guy, that hot guy at my job because he's hot, you know, or something like that. You know. I wanted to say something that I wasn't thinking that, you know. man, now it's weird in here. I want you to think about what is it that you're thirsting for? What's consuming your heart and your mind? I know if I sat down with you and it was just you and me and there's no one else around and I said, what are you, what are you thirsting for? What, what is consuming your, your thoughts and your mind? Every single one of you would be like, Jesus, I'm holy. It's Jesus, Randy. It's Jesus. And I would look you in the eyes because I love you. I'd be like, liar. Like, liar. Like, you don't have to be honest with me. I want you to be honest with yourself. Are you still trying to walk this deeper walk with God? Are you even asking the question anymore? Are you moving toward God and wondering about the state of your soul? Are you still trying to draw? We're all three-part beings. We're flesh and we're soul, mind, and we're, and we're spirit. And our spirit part of us always wants to do good and right. Our spirit part always is, is pursuing God. And our flesh is always trying to do what's comfortable. And then in our mind, there's this battle going on. And we, are you still trying to train your mind to listen to your spirit and not your flesh? Is that really who you are? Are you, are you, are you tired are you still looking for how can I pray? How can I draw close to God? What are the things that I can do? How can I tell people about him in a way that will, that will break through that hard exterior that they put up? Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, there's an intentionality about you coming to him. He doesn't say anyone that, that you accidentally cross paths with. He says, anyone who comes to me, and he said anyone, and he said it in all caps on the screen. He said it in all caps, like anyone who comes to me, Maybe you are someone that has grown apathetic in your relationship with Jesus. Like you know what you're supposed to be, but you're like, I'm just so tired. I'm just weary of doing the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing. Paul said, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we shall reap. It's so crazy how he just drops this little, this is a golden nugget of knowledge. And he says, we shall reap if we don't faint. Don't faint, Christian. Don't faint, 
Keep doing the good. Keep drawing toward him because the devil is trying to take you out and he's not trying to take everyone out in the same way. The tactics he uses for me would have no bearing. It would have no effect on you. And the things he uses on you would not have any effect on me. There are things that he uses to tempt you that, that I would be like, why would you? Have you ever done that? You ever been like, how can you be so stupid to someone who's falling into the same sin over and over and over? But you don't want to look at the sin that you keep falling into over and over and over. Like, why would you do that? Like, he, he will tempt us in ways because he's cunning. He is sharp. He, he knows exactly how to get you. And so what we do is we draw close to the Lord. That's the whole, that's the whole answer to all of it, is just draw close to Jesus. That's it. You want to know the secret to Christianity and making it through and making it all the way to the end? Draw close to Jesus. That's it. Draw close to Jesus. How do you do that? Well, for me, for me, it's, it's spending time in prayer. And not just, I'm praying all the time. Like, again, I have to do that because if y'all saw me without prayer, y'all would be like, gross. <laughs> I have to constantly be praying. But I actually will sit time out where I'm doing nothing but praying. It's silent except for me praying. I spend some time in worship with worship music, usually the older kind of worship music because the newer stuff's jank. Anyway, uh, and, I, and I will just, I'll draw close to the Lord. I, that's how I draw close to Jesus. Some of you, like the way you draw close to Jesus is you just find some people to serve. You just go out and you, you, maybe you're walking through HEB and you're, and you're looking for someone to talk to. That's how you draw close to Jesus. Hallelujah. Please do more of that. But you seek him for satisfaction and stop looking at the things in the world that don't satisfy for any amount of time at all. It's like if you will eat cotton candy, You'll feel like you ate something for a very, very short amount of time. No, better yet, go eat Chinese food for lunch, okay? And then after you eat that Chinese food, you're going to be hungry again very soon. Those things don't satisfy for very long. Tastes good. Fried rice, good. But it tastes good for a little bit of time. But then you're going to be hungry again. Jesus is the only thing that satisfies and satisfies fully. You know that, right? Jesus is the only thing that satisfies, and he satisfies fully. You know that, right? God, we thank you so much for your loving kindness and for your grace. We thank you for the way that you continue to pursue us, that even though we purposely, with full knowledge, will look to things that are not you to satisfy, you still, you are still available to us. You are still pursuing us and drawing us close to you, and all we have to do is lay aside all of the junk that we have looked to for satisfaction and to draw close to you. God, I pray that our church would be a group of people that are constantly filling up with godly things so that no sin would have its place, that we would be a people that are on mission, that that mission, we would not hold on to any liberty, but that mission would be what our focus is, that we're drawing people into a relationship with you and we're showing them the way that believers ought to live, not that we're perfect, not that we have it all down, but that we are laying aside all of the things and we're running after you. And when we stumble, we get up, we dust ourselves off, and we start running again. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.